Luke 12, 15 to 21. I want to speak this morning on being rich in God. And I got the secret. What you do is you blow up the scriptures so you can read. <laughs> Make it bigger printing. Okay. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Old older one just sounds like retirement. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it is, or this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I read the Scripture Union notes as my devotions, and I read that passage on the 1st of October, uh, just over a month ago. And when I read it, that last verse just stood out to me, but is not rich toward God. And then I kept thinking and pondering and meditating, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Another translation says, rich in God. What does it mean to be rich in God? And I started praying, God, I want to be rich in you. Now, we live in a world that puts so much emphasis on an abundance of possessions and thinking of retirement and having sufficient. But Jesus puts the emphasis there. He doesn't condemn having things, but he puts the emphasis. It's not on abundance of possessions, but being rich in him. And so I want you guys to help me this morning. And Alison's going to write it up on the whiteboard. What does rich in God mean to you? So uh, she'll get that whiteboard over. The English teacher, music teacher, <laughs> which you want to turn it around, which is the easiest side. Okay. I'm back here. Okay, anybody got anything to offer? What does rich in God mean? Come on, Paul, you've had a great weekend with a men's camp. <laughs> You'll be all excited. What does rich in God mean? Loving others. Loving others. Any other? Sorry? Living in his grace. Right. Living in his grace, that means we are forgiven. So maybe you can write that living in grace and put uh, forgiven with that. Any other? Sorry? Okay. Where's Joe? She's gone. When I first read this two days after or something, I was having a coffee with Joe and I said, Joe, what does 
rich in God mean? And she came straight back. What did you say, Joe? You can't But you gave the key answer. You said being contented. Contented. You're not as old as us, Joe. You're supposed to remember. <laughs> Sorry. Someone else? Others? Yeah, having God within you. Yeah, so can we call that the divine nature? The divine nature's in us. Okay, just feed on that a little bit more. So if you've got God in you, what have you got? You're rich in God? Give some more. You're... Sorry? Revelation, understanding of who God is. And you're also forgiven if, you, if you've got... Okay. And what else have you got God in you? What have you got? What happened to you at salvation? Holy Spirit. Okay. So you've got um, God within divine nature. Uh, forgiveness there. Okay. Okay. Joy. Okay, keep going with joy. What else do you have with joy? Go on. What, what, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Joy, peace, long-suffering and all that. Yeah. So they all go together. So can we put down the fruit of the Spirit and joy, peace? We're looking at, you know, what, what makes us rich? Serving, yeah. A heart of serving. So, yeah. Security. Security? Yes, that's a good one. Because in the natural world, we want to be secure, but God's telling us that there's a greater security that makes us rich, and that's security in him. Being thankful. thankful. Gratitude, heart of thank. Yeah. Anyway, what I'm trying to do is just get you to thinking, what, is, what does rich mean? I like what our brother here brought up, that's God within. So I'm going to highlight that one. And then I, this one here, we'll talk about that one first. And then we'll talk about inner riches of the heart, just quickly. I'm only going to look at some verses. So that'll do well. We could probably keep going forever I want you to leave this place today saying I'm rich I'm rich in God okay let's look at the first one of the divine nature uh, righteous we've been made righteous or we have righteousness within us Isaiah 61:10, and I think that might come up yes it says I delight greatly in the Lord my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in, robe, in a robe of righteousness. Man, that alone makes us rich. Garments of salvation, a robe of righteousness. And we're forgiven. That also makes us rich. Ephesians 1, 7 says, and 7 and 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 
that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You know, we've been forgiven, not just forgiven, we've been over-forgiven. It, it says there that he's lavished this forgiveness, this grace, the riches of God's grace. That makes us rich. What about Galatians 5, 22 and 23? When we receive God as our saviour, we have the start of the fruits that grow in us. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's, that's the divine nature that's within us. No, now let's look at some of the other. The one that Joe, I said, brought out, contentment. These are inner riches that we have. Of the, I like to call them the inner riches of the heart as a result of having God within us. And the first one is a contentment. In fact, if you kept reading Luke 12 on from where Jesus gave this parable, you would find that that's what Jesus talks about. There's a contentment that comes from him and even though at times we, there he tells us not to worry but to trust in him. And that's another, I think someone yelled that out, a trust in God. Okay, this is what Paul says. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He was in need. But yet at the same time, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that the secret of being content in every situation, whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or what, it's a grace it's that God gives us when we receive him. And then there's peace. I know we've already mentioned that in the fruit of the Spirit, but there's nothing like the peace that God gives us within. And Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many situations do we have to face this week or last week we've already faced where the peace of God has just been there for that situation? You can't explain it. It transcends all understanding. That makes us rich. And then, as we brought out, what about the deposit of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He's sorry, yeah, to the praise of his glory. I guarantee if I got the majority of you up here to testify when you first gave your heart to the Lord, you could all say something happened within here and you can remember it. There was something dramatic. And you just know that you know you, you know the, the reality of God because something happened in there. It's almost, what, 60 years and a couple of months ago, I remember asking my mum to lead me to the Lord. Uh, around a fire, I was only a kid, and man, I still remember it as if it was only yesterday, because God put His seal upon me to Him. Uh, my background was farming, and we used to put seals on everything to show that it was ours. 
when we had sheep farming, we put the seals on the wool bales. And so when the wool bales went off to market, no one could take that because our seal was put on that. And that was one of my favourite jobs was to get the seal, the big black, uh, whatever you call it, put it on the boat. And then I was a pig farmer at the same time. And you couldn't sell any pigs without putting a seal or a brand on them so they could trace back in case there was something wrong. And so that ownership was there, no, uh, in the sense, all the time. What about the seal that God's put on our kids or our family members? We, we need to hang on to that. And I want to come back to that later. Let's have a look at some more things. Uh, the continual indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.18b says that we should be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. The actual Greek word for there where it says filled means continually. It's not just being filled at salvation, but there's a continual infilling that God wants to pour upon us. A good example is Acts 4.31. And the disciples had gone through a horrible situation of persecution and been put down. They had a prayer meeting. And these are the disciples that had already experienced Acts 2. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We need a continual infilling of God. And the reason we come to church is we want to be filled with the Spirit. I so appreciated the, the worship today and um, great to see my sister on her knees and I felt I wanted to get on my knees. Might have had to help you get me up again. <laughs> But, but that's what I want. That's what we've come here for, to be filled. It's something continually. I want us to look in the, through the Bible at some comparisons of people uh, who were both rich and not rich. Just some examples. Wait, I'll just grab my notes here. Um, the first one I want to look at is in the book of Esther. We have two people that I want to look at, Mordecai and Haman. Mordecai was Esther's uncle. Uh, he was a guardian of Esther, probably uh, an adopted father. And then there was Haman. Haman was an interesting character. He, was, he had multiple riches, naturally speaking. He had glory, he had power, he had status in the king's court. And yet, in reality, he was really poor. He was full of anxiety. He was jealous. He, he was full of hatred. And spiritually, he was empty. And yet, on and the contrast, Mordecai had strength of character. He had godly convictions. He had assurance of his God. And that is implied there in that book. And when I look at that, I see who was truly rich. It was Mordecai not Haman. And then we can go to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 23 is an interesting chapter, especially the second half. We're not reading that, I'm just going to refer to it because it's a long passage. But it makes reference in this uh, of the prophets and priests at the time of Jeremiah. And God is speaking through Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, uh, the, the, sorry, the prophets are running around speaking their own word and speaking nothing but lies. 
And it's quite interesting. And he, and he criticizes the priests too for not being right. And then he says something that's really interesting. And this is God speaking for Jeremiah. He says, only if they had spent time in my counsel and my presence, they would have been able to speak my word. And I, I find that encouraging. I, I also find it scary. But basically, you know, you know God is so condemning these, these prophets. And yet he comes back with this thing. Had they spent time in my counsel and my presence, he said, they would have been, been able to proclaim God's word to the people. And so when I read that, I think spending time in God's counsel, spending time in God's presence, prayer, meditation in his word, attending church this morning makes us rich because we're going to hear from God and the overflow of that is going to flow through us. And then there's the words of Jesus, which we can look at in Luke 13. Luke 13, 22 to 27, and that should be up at the back there. And this is pretty, it's pretty harsh, but Jesus always uses exaggerations in his truths, in his parables and stories to get a point across. Um, the old uh, theologians called it hyperbole teaching, We'll leave it there. I'll come back to it later. But let's look at it because he really wants to get a point across. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching. And as he made his way to Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try and enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, But we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, where you came from. Away from me, you evildoers. And so the point that Jesus is trying to get across, it's not enough just to hear his message. It's not enough just to eat and drink, and if we want to bring that into the present day, it's not enough just to hear, come to church and hear the word. It's not enough just to take communion. There's got to be an impartation of the riches of God. And how do we get that riches of God? Is when we receive Christ as our personal saviour, when we get that continual infilling of the Holy Spirit, that's what makes us rich. And so as I contemplated on this, I couldn't help but pray, God, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. Not rich in material possessions, something far greater, something that's everlasting. I want to be rich in you. And I hope that each one of us can capture that. And finally, I want to look at another comparison in the Bible. And that's at the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14 to 20. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, Jesus said, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus speaking, I know your deeds. You are neither hot nor or, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say that I'm rich. I have acquired wealth 
and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. I'll come back to the last part in a sec. Just a little background of the church at Lodicea. Lodicea was a town about 65 kilometres from uh, Ephesus and in its heyday, as we could say, it was a major town of financial, financial town. It had banking establishments, it had large uh, industry with the textile industry, making of linen was well known. It was extremely a rich town. It had a medical school, and in that med medical school, uh, or associated with the school, was they manufactured eye ointment, and it was famous for that in the whole of the known world. Today, Lodicea doesn't exist anymore because where it was situated, there were so many constant earthquakes that they just couldn't keep any of their buildings upright, and they abandoned it and uh, shifted to other places. And interesting... The church at that time was very rich. It would have made a church treasurer happy. And yet, Jesus said they were really poor. He said they were naked and they were blind because they really didn't feel or have any great need of feeling that they wanted God in a deep way. And this is what Jesus said to them. If you really wanted to be rich, come to him and buy, his, buy gold from him, which is true religion. Come and buy pure, clean clothes of him, which speaks of salvation that God can give them. And then he said you can get eye ointment of him, symbolically teaching that, they would, bring, that would bring spiritual healing and vision. Quite a, a, a challenge there. That Jesus said, and then he further says, I'm knocking on your door. There was a painting well over 100 years ago uh, that was made. I, I have actually a postcard of it, and the postcard I've got is over 100 years old, and I meant to have brought that here. And it's got Jesus knocking on a door. And some, many of you would have seen that painting. There's no door handle, and we preach... Well, I can remember as a kid hearing somebody preach that God was a gentleman, that he would just, it was up to you to open the door. And I think I have in the past preached that. But it's not quite true. It's not quite real. Because the Jesus we have is much more passionate than that. He's not that gentle, meek and mild. When we think of the Lord that loves us as willing to die on Calvary for us, when I see the passion that the Tongans were carrying on in the Auckland Stadium yesterday, that same passion is what Jesus has for us. And there's a song we sing, and when it was first came out, there was a lot of stuff on, uh, on Facebook and on the computers, on different things that went around that says, this is not right, this song. And it talks about God's 
Sorry, I'll get the words. Um, yeah, Reckless Love, written by Corrie Ashbury. I wonder if we can put it up. It's up there now. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 90 and 9. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Now, for me, if I just call one of you reckless, that would be a put-down. But young people can use the word reckless if we do a something that is a, a major feat. Uh, like I used the illustration before, Graham, our older pastor, he just went on his three weeks holiday and did over 5,000 Ks down to Victoria and around. And you, you might jokingly, a young person would say, a person your age going that far, man, you're reckless. That would actually mean, um, it means like he's a legend. And in the scriptures, most of the songs that we sing are symbolic. Every song we sang there this morning, there's something symbolic about it. The parables that Jesus used, uh, most of them are not meant to be taken 100% literally because he uses exaggeration to get across a spiritual truth. And so I have no problem with this song. Uh, I'd written some notes here that God's love is, you know, from my point of view, is not reckless, it's intentional. Yet God knows what's going on in saving and rescuing us. But in a sense, it is reckless. Because what brings a saviour that's willing to die on Calvary? And then when he uses the same illustration of a shepherd losing, leaving 99 sheep unattended, God's using a parable. He's not, he, he would not leave 99 sheep unattended. In those days, there'd have to be another shepherd or something. But the way he tells that story, it applies that he's deliberately... Because Jesus is hyperbole teaching to get a point across. I love you so much that if you've strayed, I will go. I will leave the 99 and I'll come after you. And the song goes further to say that Jesus is willing to knock the door down. That's the passionate Jesus that we have. And that's the words that are implied um, in the song. And that's what really, we do worship a passionate God. And that's what the songwriter meant when he said reckless. And so I have no trouble singing it. I, I did something crazy in Papua New Guinea and people called me reckless for what I did. What happened was, is at the Bible college that I was running in West New Britain, the, uh, one of my students that had graduated and he was sort of a favourite. You shouldn't have favourites, but somehow you do. And he was just one of the leading guys. And he called his first child after my oldest son, Nathan. He was four years old. At 6.30 in the morning, he, was, he went missing. And it was now nearly near lunch, and he'd, we didn't have mobile phones back in those days. And he sent somebody in to tell us at the, at the church and Bible college where we were, that could we pray that his son was missing? I quickly finished lectured, lecturing. I didn't wait till the end. Grabbed some students, filled up the vehicle, drove the 30-odd Ks out to where uh, his oil, palm oil block was, 
And because I knew the situation, it was his house was right next to a steep ravine that went down to a sort of a creek, and it was like that, and it was quite long. And I was concerned that he would be down there. Interesting, when I got there, um, all the family and those that were there were all around the house crying and wailing. My Papua New Guinea friends would relate to this. And they had finished searching for him. They virtually had him dead and buried. And I tried to stir him up, and it was almost impossible. Now, I knew, knew the culture, I knew these people, I knew their language. And so I got a little bit carried away. I yelled and screamed at them after praying to get off their butts. We're going to find this kid. He is not dead. He's, he's alive somewhere. Come on, get off your butts. And I spoke that in pigeon. Come on, you know, can sit down, nothing. Get up, I mean, no die, finish yet. <laughs> you know, point in body. What I'm saying is you haven't found a body, and until we do, we are not giving up. And so I ran down that ravine, up and down with all them and stirring them. We couldn't find him. And I said, okay, what direction have we already covered? All the little side roads done. What about that road? No, there's no way you could go down there. Anyway, I head down that road by myself. Two hours later, I came back with him. Man, was I excited. <laughs> Why? I wanted to find that kid. And even greater than that is the love of God has for us. He will knock on our doors. That's what it's... If we can read that scripture again, it says... Um, find my Bible reading... Where are we? Sorry. I'll find it here. If it comes up behind me, sing out. The one in Revelation I'm looking for. Don't worry. It says there that God will, uh, if he sees needs in our lives, he will correct us because he loves us and he's knocking on our door. And the reason I get excited with that verse is I go back to, to the Holy Spirit one here and I think of the seal that I spoke about when I received Christ as my Saviour. And I think of my family members who once knew the Lord who doesn't seem to be going on. They've had the seal put upon them and the passionate God that is wanting to draw them back is not... He's not just passive. He's passionate. He's not just gently knocking on their door. He's not just gently on their door being a, a nice gentleman. He's reckless. And the words of that song, uh, Reckless Love, he's willing to kick down the door. No, he will not go against their will. He won't force the will, but he's passionate. And we should get excited about that because he's also with me, the same passionate to me and you. And so when we stray, when we're not quite doing the right thing, God will knock on our door because he wants us to be rich in him. He wants us to be full of his spirit. He wants our life right. And so we're not singing that song now. What we're going to sing is our God is great. There is no other religion that has a God, that has a saviour, that comes and reaches down to bring salvation to his people 
and wants to impart himself to those people. And we worship the one and true God that absolutely loves us with passionate love, with reckless love, not negative, reckless, passionate love, willing to give himself, literally willing to knock our doors down because he wants fellowship with us. He wants to eat and drink with us. He wants us to be rich. And I hope when you leave here today that each one of you will say, I want to be rich. I want to be rich in Christ. I, I want to know God's forgiveness. I want to know God's grace. I want to be full of God's contentment. I want to be full of God's peace. I want to be cleansed. That makes us rich. Let's stand. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord. When you said that when we seek ye first the kingdom of God, that these other things will be added unto us. But right now, we don't seek the other things. We seek you. God, we want to be rich in you. And I thank you that we can be. I thank you that it is people here this morning that have not made that extra step and said, Lord, come into my heart and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, right where they are. They can say that. They can pray that. Come into my heart. And every one of us can pray, God, we want to be rich. We want to be full of you. We want to be full of your attributes. We want these heart riches, Lord, of peace, contentment. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you that you can fill us with that. And thank you that when we seek you, Lord, that we can have the true riches in our life. Thank you for your words, even though at times they seem harsh and hard. But I thank you, Lord, it's out of a love for us. It's out of a passionate love for us, willing to die for us. And you're not, because you've died for us, you're not going to give up easy on us. And I thank you, you're not going to give up easy on our family members, Lord. And so we bring them to you too today and say, keep knocking at their door. Keep knocking at their door. And may they open their doors to you. And Lord, we want to open our doors to you this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us afresh. Fill us with overflowing. And I thank you for the forgiveness that you pour upon us. You lavish it upon us. Oh, thank you, God. You just don't give us enough. You lavish it upon us. You cleanse us totally. Cleanse us and fill us and make us rich in you. In Jesus' name, amen.